I'm John Caramonica. I'm a pop music critic at the New York Times. I, I host Popcast, which is a podcast I write about a bunch of a bunch of shit, a bunch, bunch of, of shit, bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've been on a few podcasts over the years. Yeah. Um, you've been on Combat Jack, RIP, yeah. RIP Combat Jack, legend, incredible, uh, one of like the first of that type of podcast. Really, and like. Like, I don't say it lightly, like, truly, like, a, an honor to have been on that show. Like, yeah. very, a very cool and a very cool experience. And, like, he was, like, so knowledgeable and had done so much research. And, you know, it was just, like. Mm-hmm. He was good at what he did. Very, very, very good. Really that was showed 10 me. 10 years ago. Like, showed me the, the possibilities of this kind of form, to right. be honest. I was like, damn, someone's doing it and doing it with integrity, authority, curiosity, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like my my favorite uh, like podcaster is Tax Stone. Mm-hmm. And he said that he understood podca- podcasting from combat. For sure. So it's like, I didn't know who he was until Tax, but it's interesting to be like, that person was in the space kind of putting on for this field so early on yeah. like he had that vision I he guess. really understood it he understood that um the power for i mean not to be all like the power of the internet but like the power of the internet, the internet he understood mm-hmm. the reach he understood the casualness of me and you sitting here talking mm-hmm. how attractive that is mm-hmm. to a an eavesdropper a bystander. yeah, yeah. Okay. and like podcasting and it's kind of like optimal form is that it's like, damn, I probably wouldn't have access to this kind of conversation, but like, there it is. They yeah, just exactly. recorded it and they put it on the internet. He understood that early. Uh, Reggie, RIP, for real. Mm-hmm. And then you were also on a Jesus and Merrill. <laughs> like, Bodega Boys, I don't know, also for me, an sort of iconic podcast. Sure. In a well, I was actually on a different thing with Merrill, not on Bodega Boys Main, but like, I wrote like a very early piece about Jesus and Merrill, like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, followed, you know, like, I wrote. Maybe I was the first person to ever interview Mero. Maybe like when he was just still blogging, mm-hmm. like way way back. Like I went to his house in the Bronx, and like wow, cool. you know he still had his job. Like he still had his like school job, and was like blogging at night. Yeah, he was a teacher, right? He was or like a yeah, like a maybe it was like a aide, like a teacher's aide, okay, kind okay, of. Okay. Um, and he was like blogging at night, and I remember like talking to him after the article came out, and he had told me like his boss came up to him and like mentioned something that had been in the article because his boss had no idea that he was doing this mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. and then obviously he like is now moved on to like big fame yeah. but yeah me and Mero I think the thing with Mero was maybe like <sighs> DJ Ayers' podcast back in the day I can't okay. quite remember but also I've done a lot I've done a lot of things so like it's possible I'm misremembering <laughs> no yeah I and also just like I feel like you like you clearly like this space. What yeah. is it like about this space? I guess you kind of touched on it in, in the way like maybe yeah. combat felt about it. Um, but like what made you decide to get into it personally with podcast? So, well, there's two things. Mm-hmm. I like it because I'm primarily interested in having good conversations. And I will say one of the liabilities of written journalism is I could spend – a day with you. I can spend three days with you, mm-hmm. but I'm only ever really going to be able to capture some slice of what that was. The quotes that you give. Like two pages or something, like whatever. Yeah, it's always mm-hmm. going to be delimited in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
podcasting is different. I'm not going to spend all day with you, but the time that we're going to spend together is going to be intimate. It's going to be direct. It's going to be intensely conversational. It's going to be push and pull. Sure. And you're going to, and the people who are listening to you are going to hear all of it. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to be privy to. Like when I write an article about somebody, I agonize over the shit that I leave on the cutting room floor because I always have two, three, four, five times as much good stuff as makes it into the article. And so that's what are you going to cut? What are you going to keep? Of course. Mm -hmm. And like you're building a narrative about somebody based on the time you spent with them. But there's no way that you can possibly uh, include every single thing. That, that you talk to them about, that you experience with them. And they might be pissed. Like, oh, if you, sure. they're like, why'd you cut this why, part? Or why did you, right. Like, why of all the things you did focused you on this? A and you didn't focus on B. Yeah. To me, podcasting, again, it's not experiential in the sense that we're going to go walk around for a day or two days and spend all this time together. But the Good nature point. of the time is so focused. And when I like to listen to people, I want to hear context. I want to hear... Not just a poll quote. I want to hear like, oh, you said this thing. It's a little bit wild. It's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. What'd you say before it? Mm-hmm. What'd you say after it? Mm-hmm. What was it in response to? Mm-hmm. Were, you, let up. Yeah, yeah. were you agitated? Mm-hmm. Were you making a joke? Were you being pressed? Were you not being pressed? Like, you know, were you pressing someone? I want to know all those things. Right. And p- this medium is like so much better for capturing that. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when I'm like putting quotes from someone I'm interviewing in a New York Times piece, I have to sometimes build a little bit of context around the quote in order for a a reader who doesn't know anything about the person to understand fully, like, this set of words, he or she meant it with a sense of humor, he or she meant it with anger, he or she meant it defensively. The words themselves don't always achieve the desired results. You have to do a lot of building. But when you hear someone. Yeah, you can feel it. You, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if you hear me say something a little bit left, but you're like, ah, he's just popping shit. Like, yeah. that's fine. You can hear that, but on the on the page, it might not come across. Yeah, it's hard to read sarcasm or, right. or something Right, trust me. Like I, trust me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. Yeah. I think I think you bring up an interesting point, though, of like, like working for the Times in more of a journalistic sense is your ability to spend time with someone. Yeah. Whereas, like, for me, let's say I do a podcast, I might spend some time with someone, but when we're doing it, it's for that hour or two, and then it's done. But how is that experience of, like, maybe spending three days? I mean, for me, you're always asking for more time. You're always asking for more access. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's really changed about how music journalism, entertainment journalism functions today is it's much more tightly controlled. You get less access than you did you know, I come from the magazine era where I'd, you yeah. know, like fly to Texas and spend two or three days with someone, fly to the Bay and spend two or three days with someone. That's not as available, like publicity wise, as maybe it Why used do you to think? be. Because everybody is scared that someone is going to say something that's going to like irrevo- irrevocably fuck up their career. And, like, can you think of, like, a thing that's more stressful than the guy from the New York Times sitting there with, like, a tape recorder? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's some anxiety. Is it label red tape, do you think, or, like, personal red tape? I think it's label. I think a lot of times I'm interviewing people pretty early in their career, maybe even before they totally know that they could say something that could fuck their career up. Fair. So I think some of it's label. I also – it's my preference, to be honest. I like to interview people early in their careers. Mm -hmm. Like – 
I feel like the the times I like to talk to people are like in the in the early wave of them coming into themselves because when you're talking to a person at that moment they are deciding who they are in yeah. real time. It's like someone's first album. Yeah, yeah, and you get to be there with the tape recorder as they are figuring it out in mm-hmm. real time. And I like to talk to people at the end of their careers because they don't they don't give a fuck anymore. You know, it's like they're not like <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah, impress yeah. anybody. They're not trying to like they're not showing face. Yeah, and they're yeah. not right, and they're not they're not like so stressed about like oh is this gonna like it's just they're comfortable. They've become whoever they're gonna be. Mm-hmm. They've had their time, mm-hmm. and then they can just say what's on their mind. I'm not terribly interested in interviewing people. Album four on a press run doesn't like, do anything. That's tough. Yeah, doesn't do yeah. anything. For no, me. I. For and, me, neither. Yeah, I really want it doesn't do anything for me. Like, I'm interested in untold stories or undertold stories. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in, like, replicating things that are already out there or talking to someone who is basically going to say the same thing in 2023 that they said in 2021 that they said in 2019. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. My, You know, your time is valuable. Mm-hmm. My time is valuable. Like, in, in my time on Earth, I want to try to use that to tell other stories that have not yet been told. Fair. Same and same with you, from what I can tell. In my mind, initially, it was like I want to know how that person thinks, and no one's tried to tap in with them. Yeah. Mine obviously is on a much smaller scale. Like I don't have the resources to like. If you do like ice spice. Yeah. Like I don't have the resources to do that, but I can tap in with people that are more in my sphere. Sure. But I agree with you that putting out that first interview for someone. Or something like out of the ordinary. Yeah, it feels more fulfilling than like. Hundred percent. Oh, this is their fifth interview today. They just came from Hot ninety seven. Yeah, and you don't want any part. Of it. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. If I can avoid it, I, I try to avoid it. And as far as spending a lot of time, like, obviously, the more time you spend with someone, the more comfortable they're apt to be. The more comfortable that they are, the more likely they are to to speak with you in a frank way. Yeah. But also, like, you watch someone move through space. And you learn things about them, just how they move through space. Like, how do they navigate shopping at a store? How do they navigate ordering a restaurant? How do they navigate, oh, a fan comes up to them. What's that experience like? You learn a lot about people in these nonverbal ways, like ways that are not captured on microphones. Mm -hmm. And I think the best people who do feature writing and, like, narrative journalism – those are people who like are incredibly keen observers and a lot of what you're getting in those pieces mm-hmm. is not so-and-so said blank. What you're getting is so-and-so did this. So-and-so handled the situation this way. There's no words from the person, but in telling the, the in relating the overall picture yeah. of how this person navigated the world, that can be super revealing. Yeah. And so to me, that's why I'm always arguing for more time, more access. Mm -hmm. And like, hopefully we'll continue to get a lot of access, but you never know. You know, it's like the game is very different now. It's just, it's, it's changing and it's not changing in journalism's favor. I will say in most of my experience, I have to spend time with the person before they allow me to do this. Sure. Like, I mean, even me and you have been going back and forth for probably six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um. I've spent time with people actually long enough time where I was like, maybe an interview isn't right with this person. Mm. And that didn't happen, you know? So I think that actually spending time is a is a really advantageous thing because you, you're like, oh, this is how this person operates? I wasn't expecting that. And then you can like kind of pivot instead of like 
we have this meeting on this day and then you just run it. There's Which literally it happens like that sometimes. I mean, but. there's nothing worse than showing up cold to talk to a person who doesn't know why they're talking to you or wh- how much energy they're supposed to give you. Yeah. Especially true. for famous people. Look, I'm, I sometimes can't believe I'm saying things like this, but like I have a lot of sympathy for famous people because you have to be on pretty have, much all the time. For them as well, yeah. And you have to be present and you have to be essentially in character. Anytime someone might see you, you have to be Fair. who you are. Right, right. Um, and I'm sure that if you are famous, you cherish the times when you don't have to do that. And then someone shows up with a microphone and you're kind of like, what am I giving this person? Am I giving them the character? Am I giving them the vulnerable me? Mm-hmm. Am I starting with the character? And then maybe we'll get to the vulnerable me. Obviously, my my goal is to get them to the vulnerable part yes. as fast as possible. But it may <laughs> yeah. some people can go there right away and some people might take an hour. Some people might take a day. Some people might take three days. You mm-hmm. just don't know. Um, and every situation that I walk into is different from previous situations. So – you know, you just like have a bag of tricks to try to get to the good stuff. And like, hopefully you do mm-hmm. don't always, but hopefully you do. I think also an interesting thing too, kind of on the sympathy realm and maybe empathy too, is like, I think I have like contextual understandings of some of the people that I'm going to interview mm-hmm. and spending time with them prior, like allows me to break that down absolutely better than being like, okay, well I know these eight things about this person yeah, and I think I know them well and then I'll meet them and I'm like, oh, they're actually different or something. And that's good. And I, those are the nonverbal things in a way. Like it's, it's yeah. like yeah, Truly, watching a yeah. person, watching a person move through space, mm-hmm. how they, inter- how do they interact with their friends? Yeah. That's the best one. Who, who's in the crew? Mm-hmm. How do they talk to the people in the crew? Mm-hmm. Are they respectful? Are, are they, they rude? Funny? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, are yeah, they yeah. right? Are they the cut up? Are they the quiet one? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I've learned over the years, you would think like a famous person would have been like the alpha in their crew. But sometimes the famous person is not the alpha in the yeah, crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sometimes the alpha in the crew is like the tough guy. Or the manager. Oh, the manager, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah. And, the, and the famous person was like the buddy or the mm-hmm. sidekick, but they just happen to be charismatic and then be able to put – you want to see that in action because yeah. that will help you understand how to talk to them. Because you'll understand like, oh, this is how that person navigates their little circle – how can I commune? Talking to the alpha tough guy is a very different experience than talking to like the buddy sidekick who's funny. Totally. So you got to like see Birdman those. Drake or like Birdman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Interviewing Birdman, which I've done, is very different from interviewing Drake, which yeah. I've done. They're very different things. You have to yeah. you talk to them differently. You engage. Oh my with god! Them truly, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like it's even funny, like uh, or like people not associating Drake as a tough guy, and then like being upset with him. But like, think of the tough guys around him this and throughout his career or something. So you have to think about how some the people around someone else and people yeah. are going to want to talk about different things, mm-hmm. and they may not always want to talk to you about the thing that you want to talk to them about. That's just hard as a yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't mean you can't get there. But you might yeah. have to walk through a different door. You might have to start somewhere else. Yeah. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who was trying to interview someone recently who wanted to do a very different kind of interview with this person Mm -hmm. than the person wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, exactly. But I was like, you know what? Look, if that's how it's going to play, you go in there with the best of intentions. You start in a place that's mutually comfortable. And then you, using your skill set, then you move that. Like to something try. that's closer to what you want. Yeah. But don't assume that just because you want to talk about A, that the other person wants to talk about A. 
because I've gotten into trouble, certainly when I was younger. Oh, you I, think like, oh, I've thought so hard about this person. They're going to love to hear everything that I think about their art. And sometimes they're just like, I don't want to talk about any of that shit. Yeah, I I guess I have a couple points, but I, I had an interview where someone was like, I don't want to talk about anything personal except my art. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. You know? Right. But like, also, you, like, isn't your art personal? Like, low-key? Like, yeah, isn't no, your art personal? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right, which is like... But, I, it's so true. You like think you can go in and just like have all these points for someone. But like one of, one of my favorite interviews, a very iconic one, obviously is like when Beanie Siegel tells Charlemagne, you're not qualified. Yeah. 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 And that whole interview is literally that Mm -hmm. where he's like poking at him, like trying to get, and he's like, I'm not going to answer these things for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I mean, that's like a hyperbole, but no, but, but it's, but but it's not because it's a very, um, that's, an unspoken dynamic made visible. Yeah, like he just said it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Most yeah. people don't say it. Maybe yeah. they'll shut down. Maybe they'll divert the conversation in another direction. Mm-hmm. That's Beanie just literally saying the quiet part out loud. Right. But the thing that I, I mean, certainly when I was younger, and I, I hope I probably now, although less consciously, I think the 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 most effective thing that you can do as an interviewer mm-hmm. is let the person who you're interviewing know. Not directly, but like through your questions, through your presence, through your curiosity, that you've studied them, mm-hmm. that you understand the kind of work they make. You understand. Yeah. You may not know their motivations necessarily. It's like more flattering, maybe. Right, but you yeah. take them seriously. Yeah. That you've shown up because you take them seriously, mm-hmm. and if you show that you take them seriously, nine times out of ten they will open up because any artist wants to be taken seriously. Yeah. A poet, a rapper, a, you know, a writer, a filmmaker, yeah. a TV actor, whatever. They just want to know that they are putting out this like emotional labor, mm-hmm. right? And that you who the hell are you? You're some you're some guy. But yeah, like yeah, but, yeah, like you don't have the fame. Right, yeah, yeah. right. So like they're looking at you like who's this person? But if you're like, "Hey, I see, I feel connected to the work that you're making. I've thought hard about it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about it. I respect it." Mm-hmm. 9 times out of 10, that knocks down a bunch of doors right off the rip. Yeah. And I think that's like the best tool you can have rather than going in cold or going in like a little bit like too cool for school. Mm-hmm. Like you go in, like you choose to interview somebody, hopefully because the thing that they do is fascinating to you. Mm-hmm. Don't be shy about showing that. Like that's, that's how. That's always my, yeah. that's how I've done it too. No, I mean, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I've want. listened to your old episodes. It's like, I understand like mm-hmm. you have, Natural curiosity, natural empathy. That's it. And that's, yeah, that and, would... but that's the thing. But like mm-hmm. those things for creative people, mm-hmm. that's how a creative person wants to be. They just want to be held. We also want to be held, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> we also want to be held. What, what era Drake did you interview? Uh, 2008 or 2009? Like early. Okay. So like Houston, Atlanta, Vegas, Drake. Yeah. It was like probably. Yeah. I think so far gone. It was like, I think so far gone. Yeah, no, yeah it was yeah. so far gone. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in Toronto with him, like, oh, so in cool. New York. That's yeah, cool. no, it was a really, really special time. Like, and that's a good example of someone who, like, was still kind of becoming yes. the person who he was. It was yes. like in real time, it was happening. Um, was he with Jay Prince at that point? Uh, you mean, I think all those people were like kind of in the background. Okay. But like, you know, Bird, like we were at a video shoot, Birdman was there, mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously Wayne okay, was so around. Like, pre-established. Yeah, 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 like it was, mm-hmm. but it hadn't fully, people I think weren't quite sure how seriously to take Drake at that time. Yeah. Like they were like, this kid seems talented, but like, 
there's a little bit of like an eyebrow arch, especially from like real rap heads, you know, like kids who I grew up around and like sure. people who like maybe like when I used to write a double XL or whatever, like those kind of kids would be like, this guy, right, sure. like super nerdy about it almost. Right. Like, like yeah. you know, like bar for bar type guys. Mm-hmm. They were like, this is the guy we got to take seriously. And I was like, this is literally like changing everything. It's like everything that we've been through for the last 10 or 15 years is just all in this guy. Mm-hmm. He's just absorbed it, consolidated it, like tightened it up yeah. and made it his own. Yeah. It just seemed so like glaringly obvious like to me. Like singing his hooks, like yeah. it really did become this like. It became one thing. Yeah, and he didn't have to go get some R and B singer to sing his hooks. He was mm-hmm. just like, "I'll do it myself." He rapped like a singer. He sang like a rapper. It's like when that happened. It's not that nobody had ever done bits and pieces of that before, but he was a, probably the first person. I mean, you can make the case for Kanye on 808s, but like mm-hmm. Kanye on 808s is an experiment. Drake. You know, from True. so far gone mm-hmm. moving forward, that's just like, no, that's did. the thing. That's mm-hmm. the entire raison d'etre. And so I remember thinking like, damn, like he just like solved some. It's like he solved like Fermat's last theorem or something. Like he just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just like did something that was sitting in front of everybody for 10 years and nobody did. Mm-hmm. And he just did it. Mm-hmm. And then everything changed in his wake. At the time when I talked to him, it was at that moment where it was like, yeah, you're big. And maybe you're cool, but, like, is it going to last? Definitely. And that was a great moment to talk to somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly when you want to talk to them, when they're, like, getting a little bit of note, get a little bit of attention, a little mm-hmm. bit of notice for their art, mm-hmm. but there's still a little bit of, like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Yeah, that hunger and, like, exactly. yeah, curiosity yeah. and everything like that. Um, when you When you were, like... When you were at Harvard or working on your mm-hmm. doctoral program or anything like yeah. that, did you know that you wanted to like work in hip hop or like of course. write? For, you did throughout I mean, that time. I mean, look, this is the only music that I ever cared about as a kid. It's like you know, like that's all I grew up on. Mm-hmm. You know, like all my early tapes are Run DMC tapes and Rakim and or, and um, you know Big Daddy Kane and that's the stuff that I was really excited about. Like, I didn't know. I think. I think I knew if I was going to be a writer, that that was the stuff I wanted to write about. I don't think it was ever a guarantee that I was going to be a writer because, oh, okay. because okay. I don't like come, I mean, I don't like come from like an artistic family, you know, like I, I didn't know that this was a career in any real way. I didn't yeah. really understand that. Yeah. I mean, I've been so fucking lucky to be able to like pachinko my way to where I am right now, sure. but I didn't understand that like in 1990. Five or 1998 when I was like still in school mm-hmm. I think I thought I would be like a teacher who like really liked music were you pursuing journalism at the no, time no no so basically I mean I was pursuing it in the sense that like I wrote for the school paper okay so you had experience a little bit yeah. yeah and when I moved to London to do grad school there was a magazine there called Trace which was like British Vibe at the time and I was lucky enough to like get in the door there and do a lot of work there wow. and then when I moved back to New York after I dropped out of grad school I had all these clips all of a sudden you know like I I was like hey I wrote for this magazine you could shop it around yeah and they yeah. were like oh and people in New York thought Trace was cool which I was just like lol it's like the only thing going on it like it, okay great <laughs> mm-hmm. but then I came back and people were like okay we'll give you a shot cuz like you had you have these other clips yeah um but I didn't even at that time I didn't know a lot of people who had full-time jobs doing this. I just was like, oh, these are people who have, like, day jobs and then, like, 
once a month they go like interview Smith and Wesson or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I didn't really think of it as like a full time job. I yeah. knew people who ran magazines like Reggie and James, two of my OGs who like used to be at the source and then were the founding editors of Double XL. Like I saw them, but I was just like, oh, it's just them and then like a bunch of freelancers. I didn't think of it as like you could get a job that has like healthcare at a 401k writing about music. Yeah. And I would yeah. look at jobs like the one that I have now. And I'd look at, like, John Perales, who's the chief pop critic here, he's the chief pop critic when I was in middle school. You know, like, he's been here oh forever. Gosh. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I would just look at this job, and I'd be like, well, I'll never get that job. Unattainable. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, that's not a real mm-hmm. option for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guess I'll just, like, have a, have a square job, whatever that would be, teacher, lawyer, who knows, some, like, anonymous mid-level job somewhere. Uh, And I'll just write articles on the side. That's really what I thought my life was going to be like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it worked out that it didn't have to be that. Mm -hmm. But that was not – like I don't have like a master's in journalism. You know, like I never – Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. This is all invention. This is all like pure invention. So you were just a good writer? I hope so. I hope I am. I hope I still am. Some days. Yeah. Some days I am. Not every day. But some days. So you kind of strong-armed your way in a little bit. I, you kind of had to at that time, yeah. to be honest. It wasn't like um, it wasn't like there was like a job listing on Monster dot com, and you like submit your yeah, application. Yeah, yeah. You Come know, work at the XXL. Yeah, yeah. Come write about these. People. It wasn't like that. Like you mm-hmm. really, you had to build up a name for yourself, mm-hmm. and you would do that in small magazines, and then maybe someone at a medium sized magazine would see a thing that you did in a small magazine mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, I know that kid's name," mm-hmm. and then maybe they give you a shot. And then maybe someone at a large magazine would see something you did in a medium-sized magazine and be like, huh, okay, we can probably trust that guy Mm -hmm. to not fuck up a 200-word record review. Mm -hmm. And then you do enough of those, and then you get bigger pieces and bigger pieces. Yeah. Um, But no, there's no guarantees. No guarantees at all. Very, I mean, none. And a lot of good- yeah. And a lot of good kids got washed out because there's just no guarantees. And like, if you had like a bad six-month stretch- you might you might go get a restaurant job. Yeah, you know, and it's a volatile industry. Like oh, those magazines, like how the source was, is not today. So it's like totally different. That's hard to like. I mean, I guess not to say you got lucky, but you I, I did get lucky. Got lucky to be in a publication like this. Like no. like what are the differences between working at a double XL or, or source or Vibe to being in a publication as large as the New York Times that allows a subset that is critiquing music. yeah so back in the day at double xl i really felt like we were in I, I will say this is something that's the same i really felt like we were like inventing it every day and i was never in the office but i wrote multiple cover stories and you know, i wrote features in every issue for like probably two or three years it always felt like it could fall apart at any moment because <laughs> it was not super formalized mm-hmm. and sometimes like you'd like I would get on a, pl- a a classic double XL story is I was writing a ghost face feature. Let's say this is like, let's call it Oh four, something like that. Okay. Ghost is in Miami. Get on a plane, go to Miami, show up to the apartment, to the building. It's one of these fancy waterfront condo buildings, right? Go there, show up at whatever time in the afternoon, do the interview. No problem. Get on a plane, go there, go to the apartment, Go to the doorman. Hey, I'm you know I'm here to see Ghostface. You know, or whatever. Like the manager, whatever, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. Call up, no answer. 
I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. I've waited for rappers before in my life. It's not a big deal. I was like, I'll just sit on the bench. I go over, sit on the bench by the wall. Another hour goes by and I was like, I mind checking again. Call up, no answer. This goes on for like three, four hours. Finally, I get a call on my cell phone from the manager. And he's like, uh, you should uh, come back tomorrow. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'm here. Fine. Go to get the hotel. Come back the next day. Same thing happens. Hours and hours and hours. The doorman's looking at me crazy. He's like, what are you doing? Like, why? Like, who are you? Why are you in this lobby? I get a call from managers. Like, ghost isn't in Miami. Now, mind you, I've been there 36 hours at this point. <laughs> Only for that. Yeah, Only for that. Yeah. Only for that. And I was like. I don't know what to, you know, at that point I was like, I'm, you know, 27 years old, 20, I, I don't know what to do. I yeah. called my editor. I was like, what, what should I do? And she's like, I guess come home. I was like, all right. So I left and then I went back to Miami like a week later and went through the same process, but he was there and actually had like an insane, crazy spiritual interview, like on the rooftop of this crazy condo, oh, wow. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. But it was just like classic shit where you're like the whole thing could have just absolutely crumbled into dust at any moment. Yeah. But when you get it, I know when you get it, oh shit, it's incredible. But it felt that precarious. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in that era, it felt precarious sometimes in a way that it doesn't always feel now because there's just like more formalized processes. Mm -hmm. But what I do like about the job now that's similar to then is we're still kind of inventing it as we go. Like, we're still just like, when's a good time to talk to Ice Spice? Okay, let's just do it. We're going to do it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's telling us to do it. There's not, we're not getting calls from senior management being like, where's the Ice Spice coverage? You know, it's like, no, it's not that. Yeah. It's just me and they my colleague. They don't even jo- know who that is. Yeah. yeah. So it's like me, my colleague Joe, our editor, Karen. It's just us being like, you want to do it now? Okay, great. Let's do it now. Mm-hmm. I like that, having that flexibility, but also having the kind of like, bully pulpit of the paper to like amplify that stuff now yeah um so that part's the same um obviously it's different because putting people in the new york times is just there's like a heft that still comes with it and especially in an era where like people are mostly used to like being on the phone in some way right it's it it's it's a little bit different and i try to be like aware of that when you're putting folks in the paper who haven't done loads of press who like may not understand the ask of a New York Times story is like much more intense than the ask of like someone just pulling up with like a, a handheld recorder and like asking you questions for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to be like as transparent about that as possible, but also it's like, I still want to tell the same stories. Like I haven't changed. Like yeah, my, yeah, yeah. my venue has changed, mm-hmm. but I'm the same. That curiosity. Yeah. I'm yeah. the same. I still mm-hmm. care about the same shit. I still want to tell stories at the same level and depth of curiosity. And I have a great home to do that. But like, so like I'm, I'm me like that never changed. Mm -hmm. And that's a relief because I think there are people who get comfortable or, you know, get a little bit desensitized and, and maybe like tap out a little bit, but like repeat type shit. Right. But I don't like, I'm, I'm always trying to, I'd rather be in than out. I'd rather be up front than behind. That will never like, Mm -hmm. at some point I'll get whack. Probably in like 10 or 20 years. Yeah. There's like, some old people that stay. Cool. That's true. That's yeah. true. Shout out John Prello is a legend, like still on it, still, still team early. Um, but for my benefit, like I, I know where my curiosities take me 
And I would much rather follow those curiosities than just kind of like sit back and just like let things happen to me. Mm -hmm. I need to go make things happen. I'm never, I don't wait for shit to come to me. Like I reach out to people, I sort of nudge people. Like I make it plain. <laughs> I make it plain that I'm interested. Yeah. Sometimes things come to you because you've made it plain you're interested. Yes. But like, or because you've done other things. Exactly. Like, yeah, that yeah, like yeah. set that like mm-hmm. people understand. I think. Oh. He likes if John. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If John's going to do a story, like we know the kinds of stories that he would be interested in doing, and that can be helpful sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, like, as often as not, like, I'm just reaching out to folks and just kind of being like, yo, I'm curious. I'm interested. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. You have stuff I don't, that's not out yet. Can I hear it? Like, I want to know more. Yeah. Like, I want to know more. I want to understand the context of what you're doing. And then out of those kinds of conversations, not everyone ends up in a story, but like, that's what leads to getting good stories and yeah. just doing them hopefully pretty early. Mm-hmm. You know, an interesting part for me, too, like the way how you spoke about like, that ghost face interview you know like and just interviews in general mm-hmm. i have it too sometimes where like i kind of compare it to that there's like this monologue in in fight club mm-hmm. where um edward norton's like talking about having serving size friendships when he's like on planes and stuff mm-hmm. it kind of feels like that in a way but in a good way yeah like, yeah like i get to i i love the ability to feel like i had this moment with someone yep it's very powerful. hundred percent. Yeah, it's really fucking cool. And, and to be honest, like when we talked on the phone for the first time, like I could tell that's where your curiosities and yeah. that's where your interests were leading yeah. you. And like to me, that's – those are the kind of conversations I want to have. Like I didn't know when I did Combat Jack that it was going to be that because it was so early. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I just oh, didn't yeah. really like, know. What year is that? 2013? Yeah, 12, 13, something like that. Like I didn't understand. But once you've had experiences like that – you're just like, well, I kind of only want to have experiences like that. Truly. And I want to create that space for someone that I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel as comfortable and as like excited at the prospect of sharing something Facts, yeah. mm-hmm. as I feel when I'm on this end of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what I want to create. I want to create a space that's safe for that. Yeah. And you have like a number of t- uh, tricks in your bag and t- different tools in the toolkit mm-hmm. to get different types of people to talk. Yeah. Not everybody requires the same massage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what's exciting to me. Like you want people to feel like they weren't on autopilot with you, that they yes. told you true things. Yes. And more to the point that they trusted you with the true things that they were telling you. Mm-hmm. On a fundamental level, I think people want to be understood. Like, I feel like we're talking a little bit about, like, what it takes to do a good interview here. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. And it's like people want to be understood mm-hmm. in a very real way. Obviously, I've encountered people who, like, just have walls up and, like, don't want to engage. That happens from time to time. But on a on a basic level... I think if I'm thrown in a room with a random person with a with a microphone, like I want you to know the truest version of me that I can possibly offer you. Yeah. And I think creative people especially tend to be like that as well. Mm-hmm. As an interviewer, you want to create that space. You want to create comfort to allow that. Definitely. And that to me is, you know, if there's like any skill, quote unquote, to like what I do. It's hope. It's that. It's like having enough toolkit, 
having a big enough toolkit yeah, to yeah, create yeah. it in a variety of different situations. Yeah, definitely. Like we're sitting in like a cool, quiet room. Mm-hmm. The intimacy is kind of like a, it's a given because it's just us here and it's quiet. Right. But I've achieved things like this in like rowdy cars with like five other people, like driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour. Like that's a different skill. Like you got to learn how to be present and engage and how to like get someone's attention when there's a hundred things competing for that person's attention. Yeah. So like, that's how you do Like, that's what you have to learn to do. I think in order to like do work like this, like out in the world. Yeah, totally. Totally. And like another one too, if you can is like be comfortable with like, just be comfortable with people naturally. Like, yeah, of course. Um, like I think um, one of my favorites, because I feel like he's a great, like, um, what would you call it? Like um, detective in a way. Mm. Uh, Nardwar. Yeah, of course. He's fucking incredible. Yeah. And, and I think I definitely tried to take things from him too, to be like, let me not just be this therapist in a set or not a therapist, but like use those therapeutic skills. Mm-hmm. Let me try to fucking te- like, f- who do you hang out around? Yeah. Let me ask your friends stuff. What are you into? Like these yeah. type of things when I can, because like when I felt like his interviews were like nothing I'd ever seen before of and he's fucking amazing yeah. and he can talk to anyone and do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but think about how much research he does. So much I don't much even research. know how he does. Like, so much research. I don't even know how he it's incredible. I mean, it. you know, like the thing about Nardwar is, you know, Nardwar is like the genius playing the fool. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's like, he's, yeah. he, uh, optically, can get into a lot of spaces because I think people maybe don't take him quite as serious. I mean, now everybody knows Ardwar, but like I'm saying like five, 10 years ago can get into a lot of spaces because people are like, ah, this guy, look at him, this guy. But then he shows up under the cover of the fool and like knows everything and then completely destabilizes people. Yeah. And that's an incredible gift. And like, you want to always create comfort that then creates a space for like genuine depth. Mm-hmm. That to me is that, and Nardwar does it in this like very extreme way, this like really like yeah. living at the edges way. Yeah, the gifts, the whole, yeah, it's right. very extreme. But like the fundamentals are the same. You're mm-hmm. putting someone at ease and then you're going in for the kill. Yeah. Not not to fully pivot, nah, but pivot. um, are you still working on a, on a book about <laughs> Kanye? Yes. Because I feel like it still gets it's all it's all under the same hood yeah, here. Yeah. I feel like. yeah, yeah, of but course. When uh, I had a couple people reach out to me and tell me that you were doing, that. yeah, sure. Uh, why did you decide to do it, and like, where are you at with that? I think over the years I've had like a like a lot of ideas for for books, mm-hmm. but but taking on the writing of a book is is such a outlandish amount of work. It's such a huge task and yeah. I'm a chronic procrastinator. It's like, it's like not a great, it's not a great task for someone who, who also has to file like multiple articles a week and like kind of, you know, it's like, it's, it's not like I have like huge breaks in my time to just like go write a book. Mm-hmm. So I began to realize probably in like the mid 2010s, I was like, and keep in mind, this is of course pre-Nazi Kanye. You know, like mm-hmm. let's just let's let's qualify this. But like, I just realized like all the things that I cared about—music, style, like how people are as celebrities and public figures—like mm-hmm. a significant percentage of like what was interesting and cool about how nav- people navigated those spaces 
could be traced back to something that Kanye did. Yeah, it was pretty or Kanye said. And, yeah, like he, yeah. he started a lot of things uh, or at least popularized a lot of things. And um, I started to see kind of like the full, I mean, you know, the what's the meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with like the board with the uh, like all the things on the board and the strings connecting everything. Oh, oh You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's like, the it's like you, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you yeah. like, you see that and I'm just like, and then like at the top, it's Kanye, you know, it's like Kanye with like to all these other fields and individuals and sounds and yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's all just goes back to him. Yeah. And once I started seeing it that way, I was like, okay, there's, that's the book. The book is like Kanye as kind of like the anchor of these huge parts of like American cultural production, mm-hmm. which is what it is and was for a long time. And then obviously the last four months or five months have been like, as you might imagine, like an unpleasant experience. So it's, are you still, yeah, it's cha- I think the structure is changing. Okay. Like the book exists in totality. No, God, no, 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 no. It's very much still a work in progress. Okay. But, but, but the, the hardest thing I think is that the structure is going to change because the things that happened in the last few months cast such a long shadow. Yeah, definitely. And they're not totally inconsistent with like ways that he's been in the past or like things yeah. that he said in the past, but yeah. it's, it's a matter of degree. The degree is so much more intense now Yeah, that it's very, very hard to just like casually be like college dropout Eric Kanye where like everybody's like, didn't that guy say he liked Hitler? You know, like, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the structure of it is changing. Mm-hmm. And I think by definition, the new structure means the content will also change, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. I just write, you know, like I, yeah. it's like puzzle pieces. Like you just write a bunch of stuff and eventually move it around on the, on the board. And like, hopefully it all ends up as a book. Is it, is it like, is it biographical? Yeah. I would say, I would call it like a critical biography. Like it's okay. a, like sort of, it's a biography, not in the sense of like, doing 500 interviews with people who've dealt with him. There's interviews, but it's not like one of those like 800 pages. Like we talk to every single person that you've ever said. It's not like that. Right. It's more like I'm a critic. I write about music. I write about style, like all these areas that Kanye is so influential in and has been influential. in. Mm-hmm. I've been basically writing the book for 15 years at this point. You know what I mean? Like psychologically, like you can trace through the work that I've done, whether it's interviews with him directly or pieces that I've written about albums of his or albums of people who are influenced by him. Mm -hmm. There's probably a hundred thousand words of just of Kanye writing that I've already done that appeared in various publications. So it's like, I've already told the story in some form. The question is like, how do we like tighten it up? thicken it up and then put it in a book form for people who maybe haven't read the stuff that I've done over the years. What eras did you sit down with him? I've I've interviewed Kanye five times. I once said I interviewed him four times uh, on a different podcast. So apologies to the long form guys, but it was five (laughs) times, Uh, (laughs) which is hilarious that I just don't remember. Uh, I interviewed him after dropout. Okay. I interviewed him on late registration, I think. Or graduation? Late registration or graduation. I don't even remember. Um, I interviewed him at Yeezus. I did like, there was like a bit, like a huge Yeezus interview where I was like with him for two days out at Rick Rubin's place. Um, I interviewed- Shangri-La. Yeah. Yeah. We were there. Heavy. Um, Travis Scott, when nobody knew who he was, just Hmm. getting high in that bus outside 
Was he making Rick beats? Rick. He was, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he was just like trapped. There's like a little bus on the property, like outside the main house. And I was like, who's in there? And they were like, that's oh, just Travis. He just, you know, <laughs> nobody knew at that point. Um, I, I, I spent time with him around one of the early Yeezy shows okay. for a T Magazine uh, cover story here. And then I was in Wyoming. And I was in Wyoming for three days with him. Hmm. Um, so you've spent quality time with him. Yeah. I mean, like that's, I wouldn't embark upon a book project Mm -hmm. on someone who I didn't feel like I'd had a lot of FaceTime with Mm -hmm. or like felt like I could understand. Obviously you can write about a subject if you've never, you know, people write biographies of dead people all the time. It's like, it's not that it's impossible Mm -hmm. for me seeing him through all these different eras and writing about him, interviewing him, and also writing about people who've been influenced by him, people who he's worked with, listening closely to all the art that's been made by this crew of folks, informal crew, that's what I would feel the most comfortable about writing. You know, other people might feel differently. They might be wanting to start from zero. Like you like throw a dart at a board and you're like that historical figure. You start from zero and then you just like spend three years of your life learning about that person. That's not for me. I'm like, okay, here's someone who like, I've spent a decent amount of time around. I think I understand motivationally, although obviously the last few months have complicated that. Uh, but I feel like I understand motivationally and think I understand this individual's role in like American culture. Mm-hmm. So that just feels like a natural progression. Yeah. To yeah. do, to spend, especially, I mean, you know, books are, look, you and I were going to talk for an hour and a half and then you're going to go home and I'm going to go home and then that's the end of the work, basically. Yeah. You know, book is, this is two, three years of labor. Yeah. So you got to, you got to love it. It's a big process. Yeah, you got to love it. Yeah. You know, and the last few months have not been like a love filled stretch of time. It's been a hard stretch of time. Sure. Mm-hmm. On kind of on the topic, I had a question here. How do you avoid getting into voyeuristic tendencies of journalism? when it can be so lucrative. How do you mean? So I think it kind of backpacks on the idea of kind of tying into the a book on Kanye. Um, there's a lot of shit that can be around that person. Mm. It's easy to get oh. a lot of attention. Sort of yeah. voyeuristic might not be the exact correct word, but kind of like being able to look at this like In a bigger train pitch. wreck. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, pu- pu- publish like, um, mm-hmm. like how do you navigate... Um, being delicate to that person and not me. Totally, you know. totally. The that's the right question to ask because I I think Kanye is the right person to ask it about mm-hmm. because if if you read the Wyoming piece, there's like a section in there that like in retrospect maybe reads a tiny bit too generous, but like you know we've all learned a lot in the last few months. Yeah. Um, where I was talking, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier about like how sometimes the words on a page are insufficient. Mm-hmm. Kanye, I think, especially as a person who has historically not given a tremendous amount of thought to what he's saying. He just he he's gives just you, living. He's yeah, just talking. He's just, there. He's just <laughs> saying things. Yeah. Like you and I, we may be like, I'm not going to say anything to this microphone that I don't feel 100 <laughs> percent comfortable. You writing it down, putting yeah. it on a piece of paper, yeah. putting it on a billboard. Mm-hmm. We may not. We may think that's the way to live. That's not how Kanye lives, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Probably worse. That's not how Kanye is. And there's a bit in that Wyoming piece where I sort of say, in order to like listen to Kanye, you have to listen with like 
sort of a different set of ears, which isn't to say like if he says a fucked up thing, you can't be like, that's a fucked up thing. But I think Kanye's relationship to the spoken word is different. Now, I think if you are a writer who doesn't see that picture holistically, you may say, oh, this is a fucked up thing and I'm going to amplify the fucked up thing and I'm going to uh, lean into it and like make that the entirety of the focus. Right. That could be a valid approach. It, It may not be a valid approach. I think there are a number of, I mean, if we want to talk about how the media has changed, there's a lot of, you know, like Instagram pages and Twitter accounts that are basically devoted to like what I would call like a micro news, which is to say so-and-so did this, so-and-so said this. That's kind of why I bring up the question. Yeah, I think like society that's, has shifted it's moving in that direction. That yeah. Um, now, what that means is that when someone does something or says something fucked up, It gets amplified way louder than it ever was five or ten years ago. It also means it goes away a lot faster. It doesn't quite have the legs that it used to have. Yeah, it's like two days. People get really desensitized to it. You know, you like, especially with like a non, what do you call it? Not a non-linear Instagram feed. Like how the IG feed is not necessarily in time order. So someone got served something from a day ago or two days ago. So, like, sometimes I'll look at my phone and I'll see, like, oh, so-and-so said a fucked up thing. And I'm like, Did, didn't they just say a fucked up thing three days ago? And it's literally just the me seeing thing. the post from three days ago yeah. or someone else posting it. Um, so, it, like, almost, like, destabilizes you as a consumer of, of news and information. You're like, are these things happening in real time? How important is it? Like, how stressed do I have to be about it? Are we, like, is that person washed out the paint now? Or we just want to forget about it in, like, a day? It, the the news and information environment is so chaotic right now. Um, but I think if you're going to look at a figure, and Kanye is a good example of a figure like this who has made incredible art, been hugely influential, and done a bunch of, like, sus things, mm-hmm. it's hard to look at one without the other. Yeah, you have to. You have to be able yeah. to see the big picture. And that doesn't mean that you excuse or forgive the bad stuff, but – the reason that we are concerned that Kanye does bad stuff is because he did so much valuable artistic stuff. If Kanye was just, right. if Kanye was like a C plus musician, a D plus fashion thinker, be out of here. Yeah, they'd just be like, ah, oh, this guy. Don't listen to him. Right. Don't amplify it. The reason people amplify it is because of everything that he did leading up to this. Yeah. Um, as a like a. That's to me, that's not journalism in a classic sense. Mm-hmm. When you're writing in a journalistic context, especially, I mean, again, the last few months we have to like put a bracket around that because that's just fundamentally changed the conversation. But it's like if you're writing about a complicated figure, you have to be able to look that in the eye and say, this is a person who does things, said things that are like awkward, difficult, challenging, mm-hmm. potentially morally suspect, mm-hmm. but also. They have created artwork that moved people and that millions of people gravitated towards. You can't write about one without the other. Yeah. I mean, this was like, um, I feel like this came up a bunch when um, Tentacion before he died. Yeah, when he beat up his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. And it was like publications couldn't quite figure out how to cover him. Right. You'd have some publications. He was very popular. He's incredibly popular. Yeah. 
so publications would be like, I think Pitchfork did a good job. Sorry. I think Pitchfork did a good job uh, looking at the hard facts of it. But I also think that people who were focused on the facts were not necessarily looking at what is happening with the art and why is the art doing what it's doing. And people who were looking at the art were like, we don't even want to think about the facts. And it was a real challenge to find anything in the coverage that understood that you have to be able to talk about both Mm -hmm. side by side. Yeah. That this difficult person who did a terrible thing happened to also potentially be the most popular musician for like people who are like 18 to 21. Mm -hmm. Who's writing about that? Someone has to write about both. That to me is like, that's journalism. That's criticism. That's like why we do what we do. But I think that hasn't always resonated with like different generations or people who work at different places. It's very easy to take a hard stand and say, this person did a fucked up thing. I don't rock with that person. Yeah. I also don't rock with that person. Like, it's like, I don't, you know what I mean? But also, it's also easy to say, I love this person's art. I don't even want to know the fucked up thing they did. Mm -hmm. Both in my mind, both of those are cop outs. And I think if we're going to engage in like thoughtful journalism, thoughtful criticism, you got to be able to see people in full. Yeah. And that requires having enough perspective to step back and see everything in its entirety. That mm-hmm. and, and that the people who are unabashed fans, whether they know it or not, they're in dialogue with the people who are unabashed critics. Yeah. Because fans largely exist in reaction to criticism and critics largely exist in reaction to fans, but they exist – on total opposite ends of the spectrum and don't talk to each other mm-hmm. or they're not engaged with each other. And hopefully responsible journalism or criticism brings those perspectives under one house and yeah. talks through it. I totally agree. I think, I think it's a good answer. I think it just has to be talked about in total because in totality, because yeah. people like people want to hate cancel culture, love cancel culture, but regardless of all of it, like if you're going to report on a car crash, you should probably report on everything that happened. And like, afterwards or i mean it might not be the best example but like you know even if someone if something tragic happens you know like uh kobe passing for example Mm -hmm. if you talk about the five rings you should talk about the rape like you in my in my mind it just i think you have to talk about everything um uh, otherwise it's a disservice whether it's good or or bad. So I, th- I think that's a good point. And also this is the thing about, I mean, I, I don't, I try not to use the word cancel, not for any like political, political reason, reason. Yeah. but because that is not how celebrity and public acclaim functions. Like what anyone you who you think of is like quote unquote canceled mm-hmm. probably still has a career yeah, somewhere. Fine, right? <laughs> like, you know, Louis C.K. just sells his own comedy uh, series on his website and does his tours. And I was on TikTok the other day and that guy, Chris Delia, the comedian who like had all like the sus sex- sexual shit. Yeah, underage stuff or something. Yeah, you can edit around that. We'll Google that. But like whatever that is. But like he was just like on TikTok, like advertising some show of his. Yeah. Like these are people. And, and I'm not saying that their career is at the same level that it was. But it's like if enough people want to support you, if enough people can like find their way past or around negative things, mm-hmm. you'll still have a career. So cancellation is not a, that's not a real thing. Maybe it's readjustment. Maybe you are canceled with a certain segment of people who yeah. used to fuck with you, but people are not being like exiled mm-hmm. to like central Asia 
or South America, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like people aren't being like sent on boats and like left to float in the middle of the road, like in the middle of the sea. Like that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think like the discourse around like artists who've done terrible things, it it is imperative for those of us who work on my side, journalism, criticism, to not look away from that stuff because those people are still – I don't know if they're shaping culture, but they're certainly making culture that a lot of people are consuming. Yeah. And just because you may not like it or they may not be people who share your political valence or whatever, you're going to ignore it just because it doesn't like comport with like how you think it should have gone down. The thing about journalism, you don't report on the stuff that you want to report. You report on a topic regardless of where the topic takes you. Mm-hmm. If the topic takes you to an uncomfortable place, you don't stop going yeah. because it's uncomfortable. You just accept that it's uncomfortable and you report it out. Yeah. I think when I think of the work that's being done by folks who are diff, like have, have been me too'd or, you know, been quote unquote canceled and others, those people are still making comedy shows, television shows, albums. And as critics and journalists, we should be engaging with those things thoughtfully, not looking away from the difficult parts of it. And I think if anybody has the opportunity to interview one of these people, a lot of these people stop doing interviews. Yeah. But like if you have, the, for whatever reason, the opportunity to interview them, it's incumbent upon you to ask. Mm-hmm. You did this. Yeah. Or you've been accused of this. Or don't do the interview. Right. Like if you're not going to ask it, don't do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Correct. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had cases in... Just in life, you know, mm-hmm. where you find out certain things about people and you're like, if we do this, we're going to have to talk about it. 100%. This. So, and that some people can't do it, you know, but if you're going to be a front facing person, you have to address. Your I mean, I've been like, offered probably on at least two occasions. I've been offered interviews with people who've effectively, I, I mean, this is before me too in the classic sense, but like, you know, people who did terrible things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple years later, I was offered interviews and I, I would just say very frankly, I was like, are you offering me this interview because this person is ready to talk about that thing? Mm-hmm. Or are you offering me this interview hoping I won't bring it up? Right. Sweeped under the rug. Right. Like, Let's which is it? Right. Like, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, it? No. And in any of the cases, it's always been like, no, 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 so-and-so's ready. And I'm like, all right, well, so-and-so's ready to talk about it. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it all, like, falls apart because- mm-hmm. That's just like a publicist or a manager or like with someone hoping to be able to like slide something in. And then I'm sure when they go back to the to the individual in question and say, okay, we have an interview set up with you. You're gonna have to talk about whatever the blah blah blah. They're just like, fuck mm-hmm. that. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. It happens. I think if someone gets a microphone in those people's faces, you gotta ask the questions. Yeah, definitely. You know, like that's part of your public narrative. It's like if you did a terrible thing and you were held to account for it or God forbid we're not held to account for it, but people know it's part of your public narrative. And it's like then you talk about it. Yeah, I I think, too, like I think I feel comfortable being a part of someone's like jury in a sense, because like we all have our moral standards. Mm-hmm. We all have our standards in a sense to be like, I think that person did this. I think that person did that. But I don't feel comfortable being anyone's judge. Like, I don't really feel comfortable with like some depends. people are comfortable being like. Well, it depends how much evidence there is. Well, maybe. But yeah. even it, I don't know. I just I think it's not to be blissfully ignorant. It's more in a sense of like, I think 
like let's speak not so much in the sense of me too because like sexual sexual misconduct i feel like is a very difficult um very difficult one to touch on but something like kanye where it's more like in a speech way kanye has a lot of baggage yeah there's a lot of shit there in the way that you spoke about Drake earlier, like having this reassessment of who he is, but at 20-something years old for so far gone, I feel mm-hmm. like Kanye has had that and had that and had that, this readjustment of who he is. I don't know what the fuck he's going through. Yeah. He said crazy things. So as a jury, I'm like, but the thing, but here's the, there, but I'm not there to be like, this person is the worst person. But also, here's, but here's the interesting thing about Kanye as a subject that's different from Drake or most people. Mm-hmm. You can find a publicly expressed opinion of Kanye on like almost any topic. Like if you Google Kanye Dunkin' Donuts, he probably said something about Dunkin' Donuts. You know, it's like it's out there. He's not obscure in any way. He's showing you a lot. Now, I'm not saying you're getting 100% of it, but he's showing you way more than the average famous person. Yeah, yeah, he Um, is. So I think you can make even like more thorough judgments or opinions because he's showing you so much that's fair um whereas i think stars who like hold a lot close to their chest you know we say like oh like the weekend never talks or like ariana grande never talks or like i've interviewed both those people i have some sense of what they're like but i don't really know what they're like right you know what i mean like it's like yeah they opened up to me for like a, a set period of time during which we spent time together but like they're not publicly facing sharing a bunch of stuff. That's where Kanye is different from almost everybody else. Because Kanye, when he's on, he's just on. Yeah, even paparazzi. He'll yeah, just like he'll just talk to whoever. Yeah. Oh, you got a mic? Great, I got something to say. Mm. Whereas most people, most famous people are not like that. So I never presume that I really know what a famous person is like, even if I had like a really positive experience with them or even like a long experience with them. Who knows? Like if I spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with them, I truly don't know what they were doing on Thursday. Yeah. Just have no insight into it. Yeah. I think with someone like Ye too, like when I when I think about it, because like in in the judge in again, like that judge metaphor, like uh, people want to say they're empathetic or even like I feel that I'm empathetic. Um, but you have to extend that, I think, in the hard times. And I'm learning that more, even with people that are fucked up. But this is, I mean, look. And I think, think my of career the background, is teaching me more of that. That's what I was well. going to say. Think of the background you're coming from. Yeah. You're not coming from the perspective of someone who wants to, like, amplify controversial news on the Internet. Yeah. You're coming from a person who's studying therapy and social work and is probably on a base level before you ever start studying this stuff is naturally empathetic yeah and open-hearted to people who are struggling mm-hmm. people are so used to like hero worship and celebrity culture that there's not an idea that these people might be struggling right there's not this sense that like someone who's on top of the world might have real problems oh you have money oh you're this like yeah, yeah. and and I, i've just been around enough fucked up rich people yeah. and fucked up famous people that like i understand that like the very condition of fame verges on mental illness Literally. And so that's a great point. And so, and so, you know, when I see people be like really like jumping on folks who like make poor choices or whatever, I mean, and it's like we don't want to excuse criminal behavior or anything like that, but just like poor choices in public presentation or how people talk. Just like, let me throw you in that chair Mm -hmm. and see how you would do Mm -hmm. under the glare of fame and under the responsibilities. Like being famous is work. 
it's Especially hard with work. The level of ego he has too, like, yeah. and and how impactful he's been. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard, and like, I think for for me too. Obviously, I come from it's a like a maybe like an ego. Maybe my ego's in there. Maybe a selfish place. But like, my only dog in the race is that um, I'm human. Like, I'm not black. I'm not Jewish. Mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to a specific uh, political side. Mm-hmm. So I look at him and I'm like, there is mental health issues here. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Like other mm-hmm. people might not feel that way. He might not feel that way. But when you look at a volatile yep. like track of, of someone's uh, intimate relationships, the way they treat other people, mm-hmm. uh, even their art, like everything. I'm like, there's something here that's different, you know? And I think, you know, like I will say like, you know, seeing people speculate about Kanye or any famous person's mental health is tough. Like in a journalistic context, it's like I'm not a I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I'm it's, not, like, I'm, it's yeah, inappropriate. It's tough, sure. but it's yeah. like like you say, you've studied it. It's like you, I know people who struggle with mental health issues. There's you know, tendencies. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah, like, like we see things, yeah. but then it's like I also have to gut check myself and be like, I don't know. Like there are things that I yeah. do 100 percent know are accurate about. Kanye and then there are things that I'm like I think I know and then there are things I'm like I don't think I have any way of knowing and you have to be at peace with that journalistically you have to be at peace with that and when you're writing look you want to write a piece or a profile of someone or an essay about someone with consistent authority across every paragraph across every I might have way more authority talking about why late registration is an important album than I might have about speculating about what Kanye's mental health specifics yeah, no, are. You have no so it's like you yeah. have to kind of like, yeah. you know, it's like you have to make sure that everything is arriving at the same level, which means that I have to say everything with the same level of truth. And so there are certain things I can know and then certain things that I feel like I kind of know, but maybe they're not publishable. Mm-hmm. And then there are things I'm like, I don't even want to wade into this territory exactly, because it carries yeah. so much weight if I put it next to all the stuff that I definitely know. Yeah. So that's that's part of the challenge writing about figures like this. Definitely. And also, like, obviously there's loads of things that I know that I just don't know in an on-the-record way, like in the sense that someone told me on a tape recorder and they were totally being truthful and I – verified and loads of stuff I know Mm -hmm. that I don't know if it'll even make it into the book because like it may not be verifiable at the level that the book will require but it's like you talk to enough people over the years you like pick up enough information obviously my goal is to get as much of it like on the record and usable as possible Mm -hmm. but like there's always gonna be as a journalist if you're a good journalist at least there's always gonna be some shit that you know and can't publish Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you just go to your grave with it. Yeah, definitely. I, that's a good point. And I think something should be left unpublished, you know? I, I think, you know, unless unless you can get it, like, you can't just be out here publishing speculation. So, like, you know, there's yeah, things yeah. I know. And, like, look, there's things I know that I will still try hard to get people to tell me on the record in a formal way. But sometimes it's just got to be a thing you know, or maybe like a thing that you know. Like there's, you know, the concept of on background, which is like it's information that you can know, and it can inform who you reach out to and the kind of questions that you ask. Like someone will tell you information in a way where it's like, I can tell you this piece of information, but it didn't come from me. Mm-hmm. But you can know it; it's true, and then you can use it to shape what you do moving forward. But you can't publish that thing. Yeah. But you can use it to like, oh, maybe I should call this person. Maybe I should ask this person. How do people check that 
that what you published, someone really said. You mean here in the building or like in life? Like, let's say you publish a piece. Yeah. And like the parts where it's like said that that's what the person said. Yeah, yeah, like between quote marks. Yeah, who's checking? Who's checking that that's really what they said? Nobody. And if they had a problem. I mean, I got tape. they, They would sue you. Yeah, I mean, but I got tape. Yeah, I yeah. Never, you know, so like, you d- so you have the the tape is of course. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you tape everything. Yeah, because you never want to get caught. I mean, obviously, you never make anything up, but like, you never want to get caught. But from someone who's like, I didn't say that. Yeah. Like literally, you could just be like, you and then it right here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> like everything's on tape. It's always on the record, and like. I'm very direct with people. I'm like, if I'm interviewing someone, I'm like, look, when I'm with you, we're on the record. If I'm oh, here. Oh, you do, you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When what if I'm they here, say like. That, that's fine. I'm yeah, like, yeah. you have the option to say, hey, I'm about to tell you something, but this is off want... the record. Okay. That's fine. Okay. But like, if I'm te- like, if I'm here in the car with you, I'm here at the studio with you, like, this is the story. Like, I'm here. Like, I didn't, like, I'm here at 2 p.m. and I'll be gone Will at 6 p.m. Will you take the whole time? Well, you kind of mm, have your phone or It kind of depends. Is. It depends what the nature of what's happening is. Mm-hmm. To me, like, that's just, like, a logistical burden. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to, like, go home with, like, five hours of tape of people just, like, mumbling and, like, <laughs> shuffling around in chairs. Oh, God, you got to look through all Yeah, it's a real yeah, drag. Yeah. No, I, so, no, I won't tape the whole time. But, like, if people are in the car having a conversation, then, yeah, you re- record that conversation, even if you're not necessarily in the conversation. But you will be like, yeah, these are people are talking like i want to hear what's going on i want to remember what's going on so sometimes i'm taking notes and sometimes i'm recording yeah Mm -hmm. do you have any specific i mean god you've done so many but do you have any specific interviews off the top of your head that stuck out to you as being um impactful like for me or for For the game i would say for you um like ones that you were hyped on perhaps yeah sure um like there are so many for different reasons, right? Like, yeah, of course. Like, okay, I'm so sure they change over time. Like, okay, so I did the first Pimp C interview after Pimp C got out of jail. Wow. Um, and like, I had been in touch with him. I had written about Bun previously. I'd been in touch with Pimp through letters. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wow. When he was in jail, um, and. You know, two or three days after he got out, like I flew down, we went to, you know, we were in Port Arthur driving around all the old spots. And that was like a moment where I was like, we're telling a story that has to be told. Yeah. And this was a time it's like, we like, this is a very different era in rap journalism is a very different era in like popular understanding of how important hip hop was like now, like a rapper gets out of jail and like GQ does a story about them. You know, it's like it's different now. Yeah. Like everybody kind of understands like Rowdy people. Rebel. Yeah, people yeah, like yeah, yeah. want to know about this world and like mm-hmm. every type of venue like tries to get a piece of it. I, the only people talking to Pim C when Pim C got out of jail, like me and Julia Beverly, Julia who used to run Ozone and then wrote the Pim C biography. But nobody else oh, was wow. talking to Pim C when he got out of jail. But yeah. I was just like, this is like the most important producer in the last like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, of course we're going to talk to him, but it was not like a obvious thing back then. And like, I wrote that for double XL and I don't even know who read that beat. I don't even know anybody read that beat. Like who can say it was like in a magazine. It was not on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, um, but to me, 
to capture that story in real time I was, as it was happening was like huge. I'd, I've done a couple of big interviews with Bun also from, UG, from UGK um, that I thought were really meaningful. Um, like a funny one is, you know, when Cameron was having his pink moment. Sure. Again, if that was today, there'd be a blog post on like every single like Yeah, like Drake v- at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah like Teen yeah. Vogue, L. GQ, you know, like there'd be mm-hmm. at the Guardian, like everybody would have an yeah, article. Yeah, because there's a subset in every publication that, outright, where they like just, they have to yeah, cover yeah, it, yeah. and everybody sees other people covering Fashion it. And they're piece, like, like, and they're like, yeah. oh, oh, they wrote about it, so we should write about it. It's yeah. like very like it's a little brain dead, if I'm being honest. But back then, nobody was interviewing Cameron about wearing pink, and I did like a maybe the first, maybe the only, like who even knows. I think it was maybe the only piece about Cameron wearing pink. This is for the times when I was a freelancer. This is before I was on staff here. Um, and that was hilarious because I think he was kind of like, really? why do you want to talk to me about like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what yeah. are you doing? But I was like, no, 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 no. Like, this is important. And like, we Did have you to do capture it in this. At that point, he was living in Jersey. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's living in Jersey. So like, we were in Fort Lee. Um, uh, and we did also, like, he was. Somewhere downtown, the, the the closing scene of that story is really funny. He was doing a photo shoot for some magazine. We go downstairs after the photo shoot and his car, the rain, you know, the pink Range Rover is outside. In the lobby of the building, it's like an event space. Mm-hmm. And there's um a party in this event space for some magazine. It probably doesn't exist anymore. It's like a shopping magazine. And it was all kind of like, you know, like. 25-year-old white girls or whatever. But the entire visual setup of the party is all pink. Everything in there is pink. And you see him, like, looking at it. I I think this is in the piece. I forget if the the quotes are in the piece. But he's, like, looking. And he's, like, they love me in there. But, like, didn't feel like they would know who he was. You know, it was, like, Mm -hmm. such a different era. Mm -hmm. Like, now, everybody would be like, Cam. Like, blah, blah, blah. But back then. Phones out. Yeah, but back then he was, like, I don't even know if these people know who I am. But, like, low-key, they would probably fuck with me if they did. And then, like, two girls came out of the party and were, in fact, like, Cam? Cameron? And then he was like, yeah. And then they, like, got in the car and they all left me behind. So, I hope they had a great night. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you compartmentalize having, like, moments like this with, with um, famous people, for lack of a better term? Just mm-hmm. mus- musicians, people yeah. you look up to. You're sitting in a car with Pimp C, whoever yeah. it is, and you maybe in that moment are like, holy fucking shit, or like whatever. How do you how do you compartmentalize it over time? It's a hard thing for me even sometimes. Oh, I'll tell you this. Like, part of it is that you learn early on, at least I did, no heroes. Everybody's a person. Okay. Everyone's a person. If you treat someone like this, like if you're like, <gasps> you're never going to get a good interview. Mm-hmm. You're never gonna. You're gonna be it. afraid, like right? And they're gonna look at you like this sucker. They're gonna be like this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy is like this is a fan. Uh, what am I gonna tell this person? Mm-hmm. You don't go in there. You talk to them like a human being. Like you talk to them like they, people want to be spoken to, in full acknowledgement of their humanity. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to be the character. Like if you go in like. <gasps> They're just like, oh, I gotta fucking be the carry. I gotta put the coat on. I gotta be the guy. That's funny. Yeah, girl. makes sense. That immediately puts them on the defensive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that. You talk to people like they're humans. But the other part of it is like, no heroes. I'm not saying I'm not fans of people. I'm not saying I don't admire people. I'm not saying I don't occasionally be like, holy shit, 
I can't believe I'm here. Right. I'm not saying I never have that thought process, but I learned early in my career, people are not who you think they are. You've developed an idea. I mean, this is true in life. This is true of some girl you have a crush on or some guy you have a crush on. Mm -hmm. IRL, they're not who you think they are. They're not the story that you've told yourself about them off Instagram or whatever. They're different. Mm -hmm. You're going to get let down if you perceive them as a hero or if you perceive them as a, with a fixed narrative, mm-hmm. you got to be open to who they present themselves as. Mm-hmm. And so like I, very early in my career, like 98, like very early, I interviewed Tribe Called Quest on the Love Movement album, which was their, ended up being their last album until the comeback record. And I was like, a Tribe Called Quest, are you kidding? I get to interview a Tribe Called Quest? Like, holy shit. You know, like this is out of control. Tribe Called Quest was huge. One of my favorite groups of all time. Yeah. I show up to the interview and I was like, these motherfuckers don't even like each other. Forget me. Mm -hmm. They don't even like each other. Hmm. And like in that moment, I was like, oh, none of this is real. Like whatever I, whatever stories I'm telling myself about the people I'm interviewing, they're inventions. They're Mm -hmm. fantasies. Mm -hmm. They're things that I'm just narrativizing for myself. To yeah. feel good or whatever. But in real life, people are not how you think they are. They're how they are. And you got to be open to that in the moment. And so that helped me like disabuse myself of the idea that I should always be like, <gasps> yeah. And instead, I just tried to walk into rooms and be like, who is this person and how are they right now? Mm-hmm. And obviously I know about their art. I know about their music. I know about what they do, their passions, because I've studied and I care about it. And it's what's meaningful to me as a listener. But that doesn't tell me anything about who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And having one or two of those experiences pretty early on yeah, where I was like, what I got out of the room was totally not it's what I thought. Experience, yeah, yeah. It really helped me not do the thing that you're describing. Mm-hmm. And now I think I don't do it at all. What if you what if you kind of like someone? Have you had that where you're like, fuck, Meaning, I really fucking like hanging out with this person. Oh yeah. Like how do you compartmentalize then like I'll never talk to them ever again or something? That can like, be what? that can be difficult because I think you do have like genuine connections with people because you're having these kinds of conversations. Yeah. And imagine you're a famous person, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the people you talk about just want something from you. Mm-hmm. Ah, you gotta do this. Ah, you gotta oh, do this yeah, kind of record. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then you can just like sit down and talk about art. Mm-hmm. for an hour mm-hmm. like damn that's attractive mm-hmm. and I know that there are some famous people who try to cultivate writers to kind of be like I always want to talk to this person or I only want to talk to that and like I try yeah, not yeah, to yeah, yeah. I try not to get involved with that I don't like it but I also know that like my job is not to become this person's buddy my job is to like I work for me I work for the New York Times. Like, that's my job. My job is to deliver the best article possible using the tools of good interviewing skill, charisma, if I have any, you know, whatever, curiosity, study. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's what I bring to the table. I'm there to do a job. The artist is there to do a job, too. They're there to present a version of themselves to me. Mm. Hopefully, in the best case, neither of us are thinking of it as work. But I do not mistake it for friendship. Yeah. And like even the absolute best case scenario of like we have a great time, I'm stunned 
if I talk to that person in any substantive way again. And I think there are people who I know who do this work who like want to cultivate those people as friends. Yes. Yeah. Or want to be have access to those scenes or to those spaces, studios, parties. Or use them as a name to drop. Like, you know. Right. But like I yeah. just to me, it's not what I want. Mm-hmm. It's not what's like I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Like my sentences, my paragraphs, like I want those to be great. Twenty years from now, thirty years from now, I don't want someone to be like John Caramonica was friends with so and so. Right, that's right, not right. real. That's right. not, I don't know what that is. Right, like do these are even the ones who I am like notionally friendly with? Like, do they know my mother's name? <laughs> right, like you, they know real, real talk. Real you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, my mom passed a couple of years ago. Did they send me an R.I. like a, yeah, a text? Did they really care? Yeah, did they? You know, like no. And I'm not saying that in like a negative way. They're not my friends. I don't expect it from them. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that no one did. And that's not to say I didn't have any interactions like that. But I don't go into these settings and have a great experience and assume that that's going to be something that carries over beyond that. Mm -hmm. Because I'm there for a job. Mm -hmm. The job is intimate. The job involves vulnerability. Yeah. But it is work. And connection. And connection. But it is work. Yeah. And so... I don't get it. Tw- I mean, look, I'm I'm old at this point. Like, I, you know, maybe I got it twisted when I was like 24, but like not anymore. Right. Yeah, I think uh, that job notion, like my girlfriend really helped me with that because I would feel upset if someone didn't want to continue like a relationship. a relationship, especially if I liked them. Of course. And then she was like, but you had a good experience. Yeah. I was like, fuck, you know what? Like, I'm thinking backwards about this whole thing. They came to achieve something with me yeah. as I did with them and that's... we achieved that and that's like what it was. And also, I think you're probably in an interesting place where like you probably started, I mean, interviewing literally people you knew like who were in your immediate circle or who yeah. you were one, s- or yeah. one step removed from. Yes, definitely. And so maybe some definitely. of those people were your friends or were kind of in a social context could be your friend. Yes. But the longer you've been doing it, I see you reaching out to other people. You're building a broader network, but not every one of those people is going to view sitting in and doing an interview with you in the same way that your friend or friend of friend did 12 to 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. And so you have to adjust your expectations and you have to evolve yourself to make space for all these other kinds of experiences that you're going to have. Yeah. And that's not to say that no one will be a friend of yours. And also like podcasting is different than journalism. It's like, I'm, I'm also a critic. It's like, if Kanye makes a bad record, I got to say it's bad. Yeah. If Drake makes a bad record. I got to say it's bad. Like I, I, I don't want to be, fr- I mean, I don't want to be friends with these people. Not that I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't it think it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah, hard. Yeah. Like yeah. there are a lot of critics who I, I think, would find that challenging. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I would just rather have the wall up. And also like, I hope in my interviews with when I'm interviewing people, I hope that I'm presenting as someone who's like, I'm here because I take your art seriously. But part of taking your art seriously is like, if something doesn't work, I'll say it doesn't work. Right. Being non-biased. Yeah. Yeah. I think that has to be there. It had I me. Mean, I hope so. I yeah. certainly try. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a a difference, I think, between the two of us, too, is there's an interesting portion of the critic attachment to yours. Yeah. Whereas I'm not there really for a critic. I'm more of um, 
I want to showcase who you are. Yeah. And I'm sure you have that too. Mm -hmm. But that could be a sort of guarded thing for some people to read critic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like Uh, I'm sure that's difficult and people are like, fuck that dude. That's X, Y, and Z. Like I'm not saying X, Y, and Z. I had a situation recently (laughs) and I don't know. Like I'm extrapolating from disparate data points here. Uh But like we were going to do an interview with someone – just collectively, we all decided, like, hey, we should talk to this person. Mm-hmm. I won't specify the reasons because it'll it'll be clear if I specify the reasons. But, like, okay. but like collectively, we were like, we should talk to this person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd, I'd actually love to talk to that person. And the reason I wanted to talk to that person is because that person's had a lot of success in a different field than when I wrote about them. And when I wrote about them as a critic, I kind of, like, savaged them. Oh. And I was like... But that's interesting to me. Like, I've been following this person for a long time, made art that I thought was like, "Eh, eh," but then found a path that made sense and is quite successful. And I was like, I'd love to talk about that. That's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about that arc. And so I think conceptually we had it locked in. Like, and then at some point it just fell apart. And like, look, things fall apart for all kinds of reasons. But I I low-key wonder, like, did it fall apart because – this individual was like, fuck off. Basically, like, oh, that guy? No, I'm not going to talk to that guy. Right. Could happen. Right. Don't know. Could happen. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that wasn't the case because I would hope that we can all just like be mature and be like, hey, it's like your job to make art and it's my job to critique art and like art and we can still like be in a room together without coming to blows. Mm-hmm. But like, I low key wonder, like, was it that this person didn't want to? potentially have a confrontation about it. Yeah. Not for me. Like, I wouldn't be confrontational about it. But maybe they didn't want to have a conversation like you and I are having right now. Maybe they, it, maybe they would have had a hard time arriving at vulnerability because they would have felt on the defensive. Mm-hmm. To me, criticism isn't personal. Like, it's not – I'm never judging an individual. I'm judging right. a, a, a piece of work. Yeah. Um, but n- people take it. Personal. Well, they put so much of themselves. Of course. Like, in and I'm sure I'll take a personal, you know, if someone shits on my book, I'm sure I'll take a personal. <laughs> you will, of yeah, course. See me, cash me outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, a, an interesting difference, too, is that I maintain, I can maintain a level of ambiguity. Who I am matters none. And maybe well, you I don't feel... Ag- I actually don't agree with that. Well, so you are also rather ambiguous too in a sense but you have new york times you have mm-hmm. critic right. attached for me it's like people may say no to me because it's a small uh, right but medium. also but but also like and this is why like i don't think that you're an anonymous or ambiguous cuz like i see the through line of who you're interviewing i see your taste profile i see your mm-hmm. curiosity set i see your range of interests mm-hmm. i've listened to enough of what you've done to understand that you're an empathetic interviewer and that you're detail oriented and focused mm-hmm. so like to me that's not neutral i don't know if everybody okay, you, i don't know if everybody you interview does the labor that i do mm-hmm. to try to understand you but you're saying stylistically i would I never i also would never sit down with you if i didn't feel like we were going to talk about some shit. Yeah, yeah like, of course. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no reason for it. Yeah, no, I, right. I certainly, I mean, certain people in certain senses, but you've been interviewed before. I wasn't going to come here and fucking read your resume. No, like, I, no, I, no I, need. You know what no I need. mean? Yeah. Right, but also it's like, I, I only want to have conversations, if I'm going to be on this end, I only want to have conversations with people who I think will have a thoughtful and potentially even provocative approach to how to interview yeah. someone who interviews people for a living. Yeah. So, like, to me, that's not neutral. Like, that's not 
that's not me just like covering my eyes and like throwing a dart and like landing on on you. Mm-hmm. That's just like you actually are not to me. You're not neutral. You're not ambiguous. I understand what you're saying that it's a smaller show than people. The average person who you interview might not see it that way, mm-hmm. but I see it that way. Hmm. I'm paying attention. That's cool. so I know you're not ambiguous. That's cool. Just keep that in mind. No, that's cool. I feel seen. <laughs> that's this is what we're here for. But it's the ambiguity is. That's so cool that that I I never thought about it um, the stylistic aspect as mm-hmm. being a sort of signature on of something, but definitely Absolutely. I like maintaining the ambiguity uh, to it. I remember, um, I think I can speak about it now because like it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. But you told me to like you know tread lightly about signing with someone like complex. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I've I had been in talks with some people about a potential relationship with them. And that did not happen. And I'm very, you know, glad yeah. that it didn't happen in the way that you said, because attaching yourself to something, any ambigu- any ambiguity you have. You carry the baggage of that you thing. You carry everything. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. No, I think for someone who's doing what you do in the way that you do it, I think it's better to do it on your own terms. And then maybe, look, a year from now or two years from now, you'd have way more leverage. If you did want to partner with somebody, you'd have yeah. way more leverage. But you don't want to create a situation where the thing that you partner with is such a big baggage laden thing that it destabilizes the, the balance of power. Yeah. It's your house. Yeah. Like keep it your house. Yeah, definitely. And like, I don't know, obviously it's all for the listeners, but for mm-hmm. the listeners, I feel like something I've realized is like, just take things slow. Yeah. Cause I think I was trying to like, okay, let me keep my professional career that I'm pursuing my relationship, my social life, but I'm also going to pursue this thing as hard as I can. Yeah. And that burned me out like way too much. But I thought I had to do that. Like I thought I had to have it catch fire or it was going to die. And now I'm starting. No, to I mean, I can tell idea. you, look, as someone who's been working in this space for 25 years or more. <laughs> mm-hmm you're not in control of the speed of things. Oh, what do you mean? You can work hard and you can accelerate. You can do six hours of work on a Tuesday instead of three hours of work. Like there are things that you're in control of. Yeah. But, but the, the, (laughs) the universe really is on its own time. And so all you can do is work in a way that has integrity and that has passion and doesn't burn you out and you meet the universe where, where it comes to you. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing Mm -hmm. you, and this is true. Look, this is a work thing. This is about your family relationships. This is about your romantic relationships, about all you always lose when you are trying to mold things to fit into a shape that makes sense to you. You will always lose. That shit fucks me up a yeah. lot of the time you will always lose because then you just get sad or like upset or oh yeah i get anxious i get tense yeah, i gotta yeah, go yeah, for yeah. walks yeah. you know what i mean like i'm just like i gotta clear my head i gotta yeah. like loosen my shoulder muscles yeah yeah you always lose mm-hmm. to be successful and i don't mean like successful like you're a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever but to be successful it's like you meet things where they are mm-hmm. and then decide how do you want to play that how do you want to play you wherever the golf ball lands you got to play it how do you want to play it? That's that's what makes you successful is like being open to the fact that the universe 
is not going to hand you something. It's just going to be how it is. And then you, how you show up to deal with it, that's what's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think an interesting thing that I'm sure you feel this, especially being part of something that's driving, but mine was sort of an intrinsic fear that, or I don't know if intrinsic is the right word, but a fear that people would forget. And I was putting this pressure on myself that I was like, I need to be consistent. I yeah, need sure. to constantly put mm-hmm. things out. But there's other shit in my life. Yeah, like I'm not making money from something, but like I wonder if you like struggle with feeling yeah, that push, course, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have like years that I'm like, damn, I was hitting this year. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. it was like 10 or 20 things I'm beyond proud but of. Like those interviews or yeah, 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 those, yeah. those essays, those podcasts, mm-hmm. like those are hitters. And then I have years where I'm just like, ah, this is maybe an off year. Damn, of course. Year. Yeah, it yeah, happens. Yeah. It happens. And also like life happens. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely like, should I be surprised that the year after my mother passed away right, yeah, did not feel that. as professionally impactful as two years prior? Of course yeah. not. Did you even want to come to work? No, of course, like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So you also just develop like a little bit more of a, a, a holistic sense of who you are as a human being and like what brings you joy and what brings you peace and calm. Mm-hmm. And like maybe some weeks it's work and maybe some weeks it's not work. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can arrive at a position where you have a little bit of latitude and flexibility of like giving yourself the space to be who you need to be outside of a professional context. Not everybody has that opportunity, obviously, Mm -hmm. but you want to keep some space for yourself. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, of course I have stretches of time where I'm just like, damn, like, I mean, I do work, but I'm just like, has anything that I've done in the last two months, four months, six months, has any of that been meaningful? Yeah. Like, I, of course I have moments like that. Yeah. Absolutely. But I also know that, like, when I have moments like that, I always try to go back to first principles, which is, like, my curiosities, the things I'm passionate about, yeah. and, like, the things that I think that I can make happen that maybe other people can't. Mm-hmm. Then I try and do one of those, and then when that happens and it's success, I'm like, okay, like, we're back. That's a recent practice for me. I think I was trying to get bread from this. Like I was trying to get money and it wasn't working out in the ways an offer I got was terrible and made me feel horrible. Mm -hmm. I like wasn't releasing anything. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like I didn't do this to just get a check. Like I really did this because I like doing it. Yeah. So then I kind of took it back to the beginning of like, who do I want to talk to? Right. And that was really good for me. Because that's the truest version of you. That's yeah. this. It's like it's not some. It's it's literally like who's Daniel? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. who do you want to show up as? Mm-hmm. You want to show up as a curious person. You want to show up as a person with great taste. So you want to show up as a person who has a lot of interesting question and perspective. Mm-hmm. That's different from the average interviewer. Yeah. You have to lean into the opportunities where that can be who you are, mm-hmm. not the opportunities that will make you into some desiccated version of yourself. Yeah. Or remade version of yourself. Just lean into the opportunities. And you'll be much more satisfied that way. I'm not saying that that's the millionaire answer, but that's definitely the happier answer. It's true. I mean, when I come home and I'm like, fuck, that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Because like at the end of the day, another thing that was helpful for me, too, is I'm like, I have a person that's coming to do this interview or I'm going to meet them to, to do this interview with them. I shouldn't be showing up thinking about money or fucking what is this like? How am I going to market this to someone? Because that's really like the mindset I was getting in was this sort of like economic capitalist 
the fuck? Like, I had to stop yeah. myself to be like, no, we're going to have this conversation. Like, this person needs me to be here to showcase them, in a sense, or just showcase a good conversation. And also, when you have an experience that's true to you and it's positive, mm-hmm. think of how amped you are for the next experience. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But oh, if you yeah. had an experience that didn't feel quite right, and then you were like, fuck, I got to do another one of those, and then another, and then another... <sighs> No, yeah, you don't want no parts gonna, of that. No, like last. you might as well. You might as well just work at the factory at yeah, that point. It up. Yeah, you might as well yeah. work at the factory. Yeah. So anytime that I go through a phase like the one you're describing, like I really do try to get back when I'm aware of it. I'm not always aware of it in the moment. Sometimes it takes a while for me to be like, "Huh, I'm really kind of going through a lull right now." Um, I I try to go back to first principles. I try to identify a thing that feels meaningful to me, and I'm like. You know, my list of things to do is, like, epic. It's huge. And that includes story ideas. Like, story ideas I've been sitting on for a year, two years, three wow. years that no one's done. Yeah. That, that's their problem. I don't know why they're not doing these stories, but I see the stories. <laughs> and so I'll just sometimes I'll pluck something off that list and be like, damn, I'll have a lot of fun doing this. And I just keep bumping it and bumping it and bumping it because other things feel more time pressure or they feel more urgent or yeah. they more popular or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just, like, think, like, nah, what if I did that? That would bring me a lot of happiness to do. And then I'll just try to like recalibrate and -hmm. start with that. Mm -hmm. Usually works. I think so too. And I think it was helpful for me to, to kind of recenter myself with, uh, oh, I meant to do an interview with so-and-so or Mm -hmm. reach back out to this person. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that was good too. I also noticed I stopped going to things recently. Uh, One, I've been a lot busier, Mm -hmm. like kind of with my professional work, but in the beginning, I was going to things. Like, I was like, there's a release. There's some clothing thing. Yeah, of course. Somewhere. You got to be everywhere. I was trying to be everywhere. And so I think maybe starting to tap back in, it's just like, I don't know, with any practice, is like getting back to the basics is like kind of nice. And taking money off the table mm-hmm. made me like breathe a little Absolutely. more with it. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're someone who has other work that fulfills you. From what I can gather, like the things that you're Stresses, doing. Stresses, but fulfilled. Yeah, yes. but like, emo- <laughs> yeah. but there's an emotional component to it. And there's oh, a, yeah. there's a, I, I've got to assume you would not engage in work like the work that you're, the study that you're doing if you mm-hmm. did not feel that you were deriving like genuine joy and benefit from it yourself. Yeah, yeah definitely. Not everybody has that. I understand. Like we're talking about like, pri- these are privileged conversations that we're having. You know, like these, this is, these are privileged conversations. Not everybody has Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So it's I want to be way. mindful of framing even this part of the conversation through the lens of that privilege because it's like not everybody – some people just got to go to fucking work and earn a check to feed their kids. Yeah. Like, but if you're in a position like you're in a position where you have the opportunity to do a project like this because it brings you joy and it brings you happiness and it fulfills your curiosity, then why do it any other way mm-hmm. than to absolutely solve those problems or to address those things in your life? Yeah. That's what it's here for. Mm-hmm. And the minute it doesn't do that for you, you can walk away and not feel bound by a contract, not feel bound by monetary concerns, et cetera. You could be like, I left it all in the field. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with what I did. Mm-hmm. Now I go move on and do something else. Yeah, I think interviewing too is like so nichely perfect for my ego mm. because I'm like, I just want to go talk to that person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm that type of guy. Mm-hmm. I just want to know how they think. Yeah. And I... I just like having conversation, but the fact that it can be mutually beneficial. But also, but also the nature of how you're choosing to interview Mm -hmm. is different from other interviewers. And and so I think you got to 
acknowledge that like you're not totally again like you're not ambiguous you're not a neutral figure mm-hmm. I'm, i don't perceive you're making that. me blush this is what i'm here for. i mean i'm here to tell true things <laughs> how you respond to them that's on you but yeah, like i can't do any i can't do anything but tell the truth yeah um and so it's important like i don't think you should zero yourself out of that equation entirely like mm-hmm. you're bringing a, a a calm and a presence and an empathy into the room and I'm, like I said, this spills over, I'm sure, on both sides of your life. But, like, you bring that into the room and people are going to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think an interesting thing, or I haven't really said it, I guess, on the podcast before, but in my professional life, I work as a, a substance abuse counselor. Um, and so, like, I do individual sessions all the time mm-hmm. with people, but they're quite intense or they're different, but they – they need a level of care and attention yep. that I do bring similarly into an episode of my podcast. As they show, like, of course. It literally of is, course. Like, it's so different, but it's similar in a way that, like, um, I just, I'm allowed to show my personality. That's yep. the difference. Mm-hmm. But, like, and we can talk about fun things. But, yeah. But the I, fundamental toolkit's the same. The fundamental toolkit, exactly. It's and, the like, same. the way that you, you talked about that toolkit, like, much earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you possess that too. I think it's something that if you're a good interviewer, you fucking have to develop that shit or mm-hmm. people are not going to do it. Unless you're fucking on a press run. Yeah, and look, and there just... are people who like, are, look, they're ego driven. They just want to be talked to. They just want to be the subject. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just want right, to be the like subject. Interview the... by blah, yeah. blah, blah. That's a, yeah. Yeah, There's some people who are like that. Yeah. But like, uh, look, you might interview someone and like they just want to fucking parrot their press release to you. It's like you, that could happen. Mm-hmm. But like you build up a reputation over time for engaging people on terms that they may not engage with other people. Mm-hmm. That's because of what you're bringing into the room. You know, like every now and again, someone will say to me, oh, like you were interviewing so-and-so. Like, how did you get them to talk? Like no one, no one could get them to talk in this way. And it's like, I, I don't have an answer for that. Right. It's, I didn't plan it out that way. I showed up. I saw what I was being presented and I tried my damnedest with every skill that I have to make it better in minute five than it was in minute one and in minute 10 than it was in minute five and in minute 15 than it was in minute 10. Chip, 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 chip away. Yeah. Um, That's how. That's how. And that's just – that's years of listening. I think so. Yeah, it's years yeah, of listening. Yeah, being a good listener. Years of listening. such an important trait. Yeah, in all aspects. Yeah. Yeah, in all aspects. You got to do it at home, too. <laughs> Real facts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On and off, Mike. <laughs> True story. True story. How, the, how was Grammy weekend? Grammys are dumb. <laughs> the Grammys are dumb. I don't go there. I mean, I, I review them from the couch. Um but the grab I mean, you know, this is an organization. This is just like if you asked your grandfather to pick the best CD, <laughs> to pick the best album yeah, in yeah, your collection. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's you know, it's amusing because it's like consistently disappointing. Like there's never, there's almost never a year where I'm like, damn, this was wow, they got they that right. House, yeah, like, it just never, never, never really is fun. I mean, the hip hop thing this year was amusing to watch as someone who's watched every Grammy Awards for the last like 25 years. I'm like, how are we only seeing like Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five for the first time on the Grammys in 2023? Like that's insane. Yeah. Um, So random too. Like, yeah. yeah, So like, I'm glad that it existed. I'm glad that they did the, the hip hop history review, but you know, like the Grammys are like, you know, the Grammys should go away. Like I don't, I, I, 
I'd be much happier if the Grammys didn't. Did you exist. see like the Fox like conservative like backlash? Mm-hmm. About... No, what were they saying? Uh, I wish I could see the exact like. What is it? Like, the Chiron? The, yeah. On the bottom of the, the text on the bottom. Chiron, yeah. Literally, it was something along the lines of just like Grammy backlash due to like hip hop or like just conservative not liking that. It's like mainly just focused on hip hop now. I, I think is just that's the. I can't. Ethos. I can't. Heal, I can't heal those people. You know what I mean? Like, I can't heal that. It's like if that's really how you view the world. Look how hip hop fucking sells. I mean. Yeah. Godspeed. <laughs> Godspeed to. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like pop hip hop, like kind of I've also just look, I've been around long enough to remember, like I was saying earlier, like when mainstream press, like when didn't cover a lot yeah. of hip hop. Yeah. And it's like we take it for granted now. I talk to a lot of younger writers and they're just like it's they grew up in a world where everybody understood that hip hop was really important. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't. Like, I really didn't. Um, and that was like part of the reason I started writing was I was just like, I would read how hip hop was covered sometimes in mainstream music publications, just be like, the fuck is this? <laughs> like genuinely, like what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, and then I would read like the source and double XL and vibe and be like, oh, okay. Okay. Some people get it. Like, okay. Like that's great. Like those people are the enemies and these people are my friends. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I want like this, I can do, I want to like be a part of this thing. Um, but like, now everybody thinks it's important except Fox News, which whatever. That's I can't help that. Uh, Who thinks they would? Though? That's what I'm saying. It doesn't. It doesn't cause me. It was any, just a thing I saw. Yeah, it know? causes me no like agita. Yeah, but like you know, in like 1990, like I probably had my first published clip in like 1996, and that was a time when like mainstream America, quote unquote, like did not give a shit about rap music, mm-hmm. like not at all. Despite Puffy, despite Dr. Dre, like that, like didn't give a shit. Uh, Source Awards, but even that was like not. Yeah, that yeah, still felt that, like a small, a little, yeah, like a yeah, tiny yeah, yeah. thing. Um, and so, you know, I just remember as a young writer, just being like, "This is fucked." Like this, like, these people shouldn't be like. Why are we listening to what Rolling Stone says about rap music in nineteen ninety six? What the fuck is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um. And so it like put a fire under me a little bit because I was like, okay, well, there's room to be better. There's like, here are a couple of publications that are doing it right. I want to like learn how to do it the way they do it. Like all my OGs, like everybody who taught me anything all came from that universe. Mm -hmm. People who were making rap magazines in the mid nineties. Like that's where I learned how to be who I became. Um, and the village voice in some to some degree because that was a very important space for criticism um but you know like i grew up feeling like i was in the opposition to the mainstream and now it's very weird that everybody cares about it it's like i still have it still like sends me for a fucking head trip when yeah. i'm like damn literally every person cares about this mm-hmm. like and if you don't care about it that's weird on every platform too, every like, platform yeah. yeah yeah it's very strange mm-hmm. um but I definitely remember when that was, like, assuredly not the case. Mm-hmm. I know that you're quite into fashion and, yeah, yeah. and specifically, like, um, T-shirts. I couldn't be yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, like, a master collector? Like, do yeah. you have, like, insane collections of I, things? I had um, last year – I finally got custom cabinets, like, custom wardrobe built in my bedroom. Oh, Prior to that, I had had, like um, – Sort of like a pastiche of like, here's this thing from Ikea, and then here's like a, yeah, like yeah. a pullout 
hanger thing. And here's like a barrister bookcase. I would put all my sweaters in, you know, like I, I thought it looked cool and then it did not look cool. So I finally had a custom thing built. And when you, when you build custom wardrobes, like there's a guy who comes to your house and like measures the space. But this guy was basically like, well, what are you going to put in them? And I was like, well, I'm putting t-shirts in them. And he was like, oh, well, like how many t-shirts do you have? And I started like opening drawers and he was like, and I was like, yeah, like 400, 300, 500, like a lot. And so what we ended up doing is like, you know, I folded the shirt the way I would normally fold it. And he like took the measurement of like what that would mean of to have like a, a half folded shirt, you know, like you'd see at the gap or whatever. And then we built purpose built shelving units to put stacks of t-shirts on. Mm -hmm. So I probably in the house have Jesus. Yeah, let's say like three to four hundred in the house, and then probably like another two to three hundred in storage. Yeah, it's not well. I'm not a well person. <laughs> I'm not like a well person. But yeah, I got a lot of shit. I got a lot of shit. How do like, you even know what shirt to put? How do you even know? I've learned know? really. I've learned how to know what shirt it is. Oh, based just on the from, Just yeah. that I can yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah. Let's say fifty to sixty percent of my shirts I can tell from just how the fold is. Obviously, yeah. like a white shirt is tough, or something on the back is tough. But like I knew like this shirt today. Like I was like I know I can see that shirt. Like yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say more than half I could just tell on sight. And then sometimes I'll literally just be like. I need a orange shirt that's a little bit baggy and I, that's this shirt. Mm. And then I'll just like open all the doors and just kind of like look at them and be like, oh, that's there. And then walk over, <laughs> pull the stack out, pull it out of the middle of the stack, put the stack back. Yeah, it's 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 unwell behavior. It's unwell behavior. But yeah, I got a lot of shit. It's really cool. <laughs> Come over and look at them sometimes. No, I'd love like, to. As, yeah. as someone that has like a background in just, of course, yeah, in in like print prints and like just working in t shirt, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And this is why I mean, you were joking about like we made the shirts for Popcast and the, about the quality of the blank. And it's like I, to me, I was like, this got to hold up with like my best shirts from the '90s. Like yeah. that's I wanted it to be thick and and um I you know I wanted a shirt that like. I want it to wear. Yeah. You know, it's like when you make anything, you yeah. want it to be something that you want to make yeah, or like you want. There's those specific labels of yeah. those tees like mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, you know, I want a shirt that like if I put it in my stacks, I would feel perfectly happy to like pull it out and wear it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I have, yeah, I got a ridiculous amount of stuff and I still buy stuff too. Like, I, like obviously like you go on like promo lists, like labels will send you like free t-shirts. A lot of the quality is terrible. Labels, if you're listening, up your blank quality, please. It's really draining when you send a t-shirt on a bad blank. Um, but like, I buy things. Like if I'm a fan of someone, like I buy it. Like I go, like there are artists who like, you know, like I'm a huge NBA young boy fan. I go on his website, his merch shop and like buy <laughs> shit, cool. you know, like it's just cause like, I want to wear that shirt. Even if like nobody knows who he, like I know who he is, you mm -hmm. know who he is. Like yeah. my friends know who he is, but like, yeah. That's just what I want to wear. And so, you know, like I've always been like that. And this is dating back to the 90s, you know, like, so I've, I mean, I have stuff from like the 80s, like stuff from like my childhood that I still like have in my yeah, back closet. Sick. I've got, yeah, I've got everything. I don't, and I don't get rid of shit. So like, I just have it. Yeah. I, I definitely want to like keep some stuff. Like I feel like for just like, 
in quotes kids like whatever yeah yeah of course but i definitely just want to keep no when i have kids no they're gonna be absolute love no they're gonna be fucking legends in their school they're gonna have absolutely every important shirt from like 1997 to like 2025 or whatever like yeah no no i also like i yeah, I'm a critic. That's my job. But it's like I'm a fan. Like I'm like I'm a For fan sure. and a supporter. Like I like the, you can't be a critic without you can't be a good critic without being a fan. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, you know, like I get enthusiastic. I get enthused and I go on people's websites and I spend seventy five dollars on some fuck shit. Like who knows? <laughs> you know, I just fucking buy it. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much. Oh come on, man. This. this is like we. This is awesome. No, no, we could do like six more hours. <laughs> I had such a great time, honestly. Oh, I that's, really appreciate I'm, I'm, it. I'm more than, it's more than a privilege to be here. Yeah. That's, I, I really appreciate you wanting me to be on this. Dude, fuck. I mean, the fact that the times gives us this space. Yeah, like, look at us. Just vibing in the in the A studio. This is the, the former this podcast is the, studio. the most comfortable. Like, <laughs> normally after I talk for two hours, I'm like, oh, God, I got to. Oh, you in the air on chair now. Yeah. 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 <laughs>